We're going to talk about the characters of the nativity. Luke chapter 2, beginning with verse 8, says, Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, the angel of the Lord, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. The angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloth, lying in a manger. Suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill to men. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven and the shepherds said that the shepherds said to one another, let's now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. So we have several of the characters from the Christmas story here. And the very first one that I want to put up here is who? And see, that's the problem with our Christmas setup here. The most important central figure of, the, of your nativity set is not Mary. The only reason Mary is up here is because she's holding Jesus. And so you can't, this is Jesus right here, the, the uh, outline of the cutout here of Jesus. Now, Mary is a central figure in the Christmas story. We're not going to talk much about her this morning, and so is Joseph. We left Joseph back here. He did not rate my message this morning. And so Mary wouldn't have either, except she's holding Jesus. Otherwise, I would have put him up here. We want to be careful about Mary. Mary, certainly, we're going to talk in a few moments about the significance of Mary and her obedience to the voice of the Lord when the Lord spoke to her about having the, uh, the child Jesus. She said, uh, uh, may it be unto me according to your word, what you're saying to me when the angel appeared to her. Uh, she obviously had a choice there. So we appreciate that about Mary. But you want to be careful. Mary, there's no place in the Bible that says that Mary is to be worshipped. No, no place in the Bible that says we're to pray to Mary or that we're to pray through Mary. And I know there's some people that are a little bit confused about that. That's nowhere in the Bible. In fact, I love the line in the song, Mary, Did You Know, that says, speaking of Mary, it says, the child that you deliver will soon deliver you. Which means Mary was born into sin just like the rest of us. And God chose her as uh, as a virgin to give birth to the Son of God, but Mary was not sinless. There's no place in the Bible that says she was. So uh, we honor her. We appreciate, you know, we're thankful that she had Jesus and she said yes to the voice of the Lord when the Lord spoke to her, but Mary is not the central figure of the Christmas story. Jesus is. 
Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, tells us about Jesus. And two weeks from today, when I'm talking about the names of God, we're going to talk about the Christmas names. There are I've done series before on the names of Jesus and the names of God and who the Bible calls Jesus. But we're going to do uh, two messages on the Christmas names of Jesus. The names that surround the Christmas season. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, says that he shall be called Wonderful. Counselor, Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And in Luke's account, it says that his name will be called Emmanuel. So we're going to look at those later. But just wanted you to know that Jesus is the central figure of the Christmas story. So I want to go on and I want to talk about some of the other figures that are in your nativity set. First of all, I want to talk about this guy. This is one of the shepherds. The Bible doesn't name them, so I named him Bob. I just thought Bob would be a good name for a shepherd, especially my brother's name is Bob, and he's a cool guy. And also, if you spell his name wrong, if you happen to spell it backwards, it still spells Bob. So I'm into simplicity when it comes to message illustrations. So this is Bob the shepherd. Shepherding is one of the oldest professions in the world. Genesis chapter 4, verse 2, Adam's son Abel the second generation on the earth, Abel was a shepherd. Jacob, Moses, King David were all shepherds. And shepherding is a noble profession. Psalm chapter 23, it's interesting how God is not afraid to identify himself as a shepherd. Psalm chapter 23 says, the Lord is my shepherd. A lot of the research that I did on shepherds, it said that shepherds says that... uh, In Bible times, shepherds were the lowest of the low, that they were social outcasts, that they were were known as thieves and robbers and liars and just some some really strange stuff. I, I, I have a hard time actually with that concept. And the reason is because God so readily identifies himself as our shepherd. Would lead you to believe that shepherding was a noble profession. John chapter 10 verse 11, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 20 calls Jesus the great shepherd. 1 Peter 5 4 refers to Jesus as the chief shepherd. One thing we do have to say about shepherds though is that shepherds represent the common man or the working class person. It was a noble profession, but it was a profession nevertheless that you had to work at. You had to work hard at they worked close by uh where jesus was uh, was being born and um and it was a local trade a locally needed trade sheep were a very important part of the economy of israel not only for sacrifices at the temple but but they used uh the wool from sheep to make clothing they ate a lot of uh the meat so uh, shepherding was a really necessary local trade there in Israel. The primary responsibilities of shepherds, and this is what I, what I really want you to get when we're talking about shepherds. The primary responsibility of shepherds was two things. First of all, to protect the sheep from, shep- from predators. And second of all, to provide for the sheep. They would lead them to good grass, to grazing. And whenever they grazed an area, sheep have a, the ability to just eat grass all the way down to the dirt 
And so then they would have to move them, find more grazing land for the sheep. And so shepherds, number one, protect the sheep. Number two, provide for the sheep. So I want all of you, how many working people do we have in our congregation? Any working people? Yep. I want you to see yourself in the Christmas story. Because these shepherds represent us. Our main responsibilities toward our families is to protect them and to provide for them. And I even want to go a step further, ladies. Uh, not, we're going to talk about Mary and how you can identify with obeying the voice of God and, and submitting to God. But right now, I just want to say that this main responsibility falls upon the men in our households. Not take anything away from the ladies. Please don't be offended. But when it comes to protecting and providing for our families, that is mainly the responsibility of the husband and father. So husbands and fathers, I want you to see yourself in the Christmas story that Bob here represents us as providers and protectors. You are the shepherds of your households. And the birth of Jesus, it's interesting that the birth of Jesus was revealed to you first. Not to the priests, not to the scribes, not to the Pharisees, not to the religious leaders, not even to the kings. The birth of Jesus and the good news of the gospel was first revealed to the shepherds, to the working class, to you, to me, to us. And it's still true today. It's amazing how many religious people miss the gospel entirely. So secondly, now, interacting with the shepherds, let me move Bob over here. This is, then we have the angels. So this is an angel, and uh, didn't name the angel. I don't know many angel names. I know there's Gabriel, and I don't know which angel this guy is that showed up with the shepherds. But we've got the, uh, we've got the angels here. Bob's falling apart in the back, so I've got to be careful with him. All right. So only twice in the Bible do hosts of angels appear rather than just one or two. There are accounts in the Bible where one angel appears to someone, two angels appear to someone, three angels. There's a place in the Old Testament where three angels appeared, but only two times in the whole Bible do a whole host of angels appear. And first of all, John saw the heavenly host when he was taken up in the book of Revelation. He was taken to heaven and he saw all these hosts. The Bible said there were millions and millions of angels that he saw in heaven. But the only time that hosts of angels ever came to earth was concerning the birth of Jesus, and to make that announcement to the shepherds. In the Bible, all angels are referred to as males. Again, ladies, we do love you. But angels are not these uh, effeminate-looking creatures with, the, the, you know, they have flowing hair, perhaps, but they, but they certainly don't look like the little chubby cherubs at Valentine's Day. Those are not what angels are. In the, Bibles, in the Bible, angels are referred to as males. All of them are. They're fierce, strong, large, and warlike. Here's a little known, here's a little known scripture. How fierce are they? 
How strong are they? In 2 Kings 19.35, let me quote that scripture to you. And it came to pass on a certain night that as the angel of the Lord, one angel, everybody say one angel. This is one angel, the angel of the Lord, went out against the enemies of Israel and killed in the camp of the Assyrians 185,000. And when the people, the Israelites, arose early in the morning, there were the corpses all dead. In one night, one angel killed 185,000 of Israel's enemies. So that was not some fat little cherub with a bow and arrow with a big valentine on his heart. This is a fierce dude. So no wonder the shepherds were terrified. You know what? The Bible says one angel appeared to them and they were all terrified. One angel. And the Bible says that they were afraid. No wonder that they were afraid. And then after that, after the angel's announcement, the Bible says the sky was full of them, of the heavenly hosts. So you can imagine they were terrified at one. And then the angel said, don't be afraid. Got an announcement to make. Made the announcement about the birth of Jesus. And then all of a sudden the sky is filled with these huge, fierce angels. Saying, glory to God in the highest. So, they made an announcement to the shepherds in Luke chapter 2. Let me go there. Luke chapter 2. The angel said to them, don't be afraid. I bring you good tidings of great joy. There's born to you in this day in the city of David a Savior who's Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. And I've already read that to you. But then... The multitude of the heavenly host appeared praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace and good will to men. And then when the angels had gone, the shepherd said, we got to go see this. We got to go see this. The angel told the shepherds, they gave them the gospel of the good news. And what I'm trying to get to here is they said, we have an announcement to make to you. That is for all people. Don't you think that the heavenly hosts would have been powerful enough and made a strong enough impression that they could have made this, they could have filled the sky with angels and made the announcement to the whole city of Bethlehem, to the whole nation of Israel. Don't you know millions of angels could have filled the sky and made this announcement all over the whole nation of Israel. Yet this host of Angels appeared to a group of shepherds out keeping their fields. And they said, we're giving you the good news of the message of the birth of Christ. And we want you, this message that we're giving to you is for everybody. And the Bible says that the shepherds spread it abroad. That they went and saw the baby, Mary and Joseph, the baby lying in a manger, But then it says that they went and they spread the word. The word of the gospel that we hear each Sunday and the gospel that's been preached to you and the gospel that you have accepted and you have received, that gospel has not just been given to you. So often when we come to church, we want a great church experience. 
But we don't realize that the gospel, the message that's been given to us, is also for everybody else. Had this occurrence, had this sky been filled with angels, and the angels had appeared to the priests, to the scribes, to the Pharisees, you see, the people had already shut off the influence that the professional religious people had in their lives. They were disgusted with them. They were fed up with them. They didn't trust them. But when shepherds out in the field, the Bible says that people marveled when the shepherds went and told them what they had seen and what they heard. The people were attentive and they marveled. People expect the professionals to talk about the gospel. When it really has an impact is when you talk about it. Now, I don't, I don't consider myself a scribe, a Pharisee, a, anything like that. Thank you, Jesus. But when I go out into the public, when I go out into the marketplace, into, into the public, I, people expect me, when they find out I'm a pastor, they expect me to talk to them about the gospel. They expect me to invite them to my church. They expect me to be, they even expect me to be critical of the words that they use or the things that they, that they do. I very seldom, when I'm out in the workplace, I very seldom, te- very seldom tell people that I'm a pastor. I don't mind telling them, oh, I go to Living Word. I, there are plenty of times, where do you, I go to Living Word. I very seldom tell them I'm one of the pastors or I'm the senior pastor of the church because once I've done that, I've lost my influence with the people I'm talking to. Oh, yeah, well, we expect you. You're going to preach to us now, aren't you, preacher? If I can get by without telling them that, I do. So then I can actually share the gospel. I can actually share my life with people, share what God has done, and they're not suspicious. So you have an advantage to sharing the gospel that I don't have. You can talk about things I can't talk about to people I can't talk to in places that I can't talk to them. Because once, I, once they find out I'm a pastor, I have lost my influence. This is why the angels, why didn't they just go to the scribes? Why didn't they just, just think if they had just appeared to the Pharisees, then the Pharisees might have accepted the Messiah. But here's the thing. The people wouldn't have. Because they didn't trust them. But they trusted the shepherds. They trusted the word of the shepherds, and the shepherds had influence. So, I want you to see yourself in the Christmas story. Bob here represents us. Not only did common working class people become the first people to show up at the birth of Jesus, but also they're the ones that have the influence in the marketplace. You're the one that have the, has the influence in the marketplace. Amen? Amen? So did you get that piece of it? Yeah. All right, good. So now I want to talk about the wise men. Here we've got uh, one of the wise men here. Bob! That is, a, that, is a, uh, that is a very, very clear case of jealousy right there. Bob said, if you're going to talk about that guy, then I am out of here there you okay now Bob yeah Bob's okay the wise men now uh, 
Most scholars believe that the wise men were astronomers from Persia. They were from the east, we know that, and they traveled a long distance to see the Christ child. Traditionally, the names given to the wise men were Melchior, Casper, and Balthazar. Uh, The Bible does not say that there were three wise men, but Traditionally, we talk about three wise men because there were three different gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But it, actually in the east, over in the, uh, uh, over in the eastern part of the world, they, most people believe there were 12. They actually have names for 12 uh, wise men. So, but we're going to go with, since we're Americans over here, we're going to go with the three, Melchior, Casper, and Balthazar. And we're going to call this guy Casper. Uh, simply because I like simplicity, and that's the easiest one to say. It's Casper. So this is Casper. The other two guys are back here. And the Bible refers to them, uh, the Bible never refers to these guys as kings. Traditionally, we call them kings, the three kings. There's a song, We Three Kings of Orient Are. Uh, But the Bible never refers to them as kings. The Bible refers to them as wise men. We also know about them that they were wealthy. The reason we know that is because of the distance that they were able to travel. We also know that because of the gifts that they brought. Uh, They brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Gold representing kingship or royalty. Frankincense is a type of incense, and it represents deity or godlikeness. And then myrrh. Myrrh is a spice that's used at burials or was used at that time for burials in the Middle East when a body would start to decay in, in order to keep, uh, keep an o- the odor down, they would actually rub this body down in myrrh. And myrrh has a very, very strong, it's a pleasant scent, but it's very pungent, very strong. And uh, uh, that's why they would cover bodies in myrrh. Some scholars actually believe that the myrrh that was brought to Mary and Joseph at the birth of Jesus Uh, It was hard for common people to come by very much myrrh because it was so expensive. And that that myrrh, that Mary actually saved that myrrh, and that myrrh was used uh, at the burial of Jesus when he was crucified. There's no proof of that that I can find, but some scholars believe that's where Mary would have gotten it. Now the kings, not kings, but the wise men, uh, they're in our nativity set, and I think they're a cool addition. Otherwise, if we just had the shepherds and the angels, it would be wopsided because we wouldn't have anything over here. So we got the three wise men over here, but actually the wise men probably were not at the nativity. They were not at the birth of Jesus. The reason that we come to that conclusion, that they probably came about two years later. First of all, the Bible in the account in Matthew, the Bible says that they came to the house. They were, Jesus was not born in a house. He wasn't at a house. But then when the, the three wise men, or the however many wise men there were, came, the Bible says they came to the house. So apparently Mary and Joseph were at the house at that time, wherever the house was, uh, probably in Bethlehem. Joseph is not mentioned in this account. The Bible says that they visited Mary and the baby. We know that Joseph was out of the picture. Nobody knows what happened to Joseph, but we know Joseph was out of the picture soon after Jesus was born. Some, some people believe that he died, um, but uh, nobody really knows what happened to him. Uh, but he wasn't mentioned in the account in Matthew of the wise men. And thirdly, the Bible says that after the 
wise men visited Herod looking for the child. Uh, we're going to talk about that in just a moment. That Herod ordered all the newborns all the way up through two years old to be killed uh, in that area because he was trying to kill the Christ child because he didn't want the Christ child. He, didn't, he understood from the uh, wise men that a king was being born. And uh, being very jealous for his throne, he was going to kill any potential kings. And there's something significant about two years old because he wanted all the children two years old, all the males two years old and under to be killed. So it's probably about two years later that these guys came with their gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and brought them to the house. Fascinated? Not really. I, I just wanted to give you some background. The most significant thing, though, that we can learn from them, from the wise men. We could talk about a lot of different things. They followed the star, how long it took them to get there. But the most significant thing we can learn from them is their commitment to obedience. Because Matthew chapter 2, verses 11 and 12 says, When they came into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. And they opened their treasures and presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And the way they found him was when they traveled from east, <coughs> pardon me, they traveled from the east, and they came, they followed the star, and then they came to Jerusalem, and they met with Herod the king, and, the, and they said, can you help us? We're looking for this newborn king, and we've been following the star. And Herod, when he found out there was a newborn king, a new king of the Jews, he became really, really uh, upset about that in the account in Matthew chapter 2. And so, but in order to disguise that, he told the, these wise men, when you find him, Come back and tell me, because then I want to go worship him myself, which is not what he wanted. He wanted to kill him. So then the wise men come, come to the house, they open their treasures, and then it says, then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their country another way. So then when Herod found that out, that's when he didn't know who the king was, but he knew there was one, and he was, he was probably about two years old. So he had all these babies killed trying to get to the Christ child. But what happened was an angel appeared to Joseph in a dream and told him, take your family and flee to Egypt. And so Joseph listened to the word of the Lord, took his family to Egypt, and then when all these children, uh, when Herod had all these children killed, he couldn't get to uh, the Christ child because the Christ child was in Egypt. Because Joseph listened to the word of the Lord. This is a real encouraging Christmas message, isn't it? <laughs> but what's important about this story, what's important about this account is the obedience. And this is where I really want to get here is the obedience of the wise men. Because they were divinely warned in a dream and they went back to uh, their own country, but they went a different route. My question to us is today, what has the Holy Spirit been instructing us about? What has the Holy Spirit been instructing us to do? And what's at stake? And can we afford to disobey the voice of the Lord? Remember, the wise men did not know that there was a problem. 
The wise men did not discern that. When the wise men met with Herod and he said, I want you guys to come back, tell me who the Christ child is, where he is, because I want to go worship him. There's no indication that the wise men looked at each other and said, there's something funny about that guy. They went and found the Christ child, and the only reason they did something completely different is because the Lord warned them. Otherwise, they would have gone right back to Herod and told him what he wanted to know. But they were obedient to what the Lord showed them to do. And look what was at stake. Had they been disobedient to that, oh man, we shouldn't have, shouldn't have eaten all that fish last night. I had the weirdest dream. Because they were obedient. And in fact, let me say this. So much of the Christmas story is about obedience. Just think about it. Mary accepting the angel's announcement. Mary, you're going to have a baby, and the baby is going to be the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God. And Mary said, how can that happen? I'm, I'm a virgin. I don't understand how I could have a baby. And the Holy Spirit's, and the angel said, the Holy Spirit's going to overshadow you. And that which is going to be born in your womb is going to be born. It's going to be the child of God. And Mary's response was, okay, I'm in. Let it be. That's that's. Uh, that's the revised Corona version. The Bible actually says, let it be unto me according to your word. The, comp- the potential here for her to abort the plan of God is so huge. First of all, I mean, she, her potential complaint, what's everybody going to say? I'm not even married. I'm a teenage girl, I'm not married, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get pregnant, and then I'm going to tell everybody that God did this? And she could have aborted the plan there. How about this one? I have to carry a child for nine months, and I never even had a honeymoon. I mean, look at the potential here for her to... to the complaint for her to be able to abort this mission, yet she said yes to God. And then the angel appears to Joseph and says, Mary's pregnant, but that's the child of the Holy Spirit, and you need to take Mary as your wife. And Joseph obeyed the voice of the Lord. Look at the potential here for him to say, not only are they going to think Mary's nuts, but then they're going to think I'm nuts for marrying her, for believing this stupid story and marrying her. And he could have aborted the mission, and yet he obeyed the voice of the Lord. Then we talked about the wise men. The wise men took another route. The potential complaint from them is, really, we got to take the long way back home? We don't want to. Let's just go through Jerusalem. We don't want to go all the way around the long way. And then Joseph taking his family to Egypt. You mean we have to leave our home and take a two-week journey with a toddler on a donkey? How many of you have ever traveled with a toddler? In a car. Three hours. This is a two-week journey on a donkey with a toddler. Look at the potential here for each one of these, these characters in this in this true story, look at the potential here for them to abort the mission and say, no, we're not, this is inconvenient. No, we're not going to do that. This doesn't make sense. What are people going to think if I do this? 
And the big announcement about the Christmas story is our obedience to God. Look what would have happened in any one of these situations if any one of these people had decided, I'm not going to obey. It's too inconvenient. I'm not going to obey. What are people going to think? I'm not going to obey. I don't want to do this. But they did it. And today we have a nativity set with shepherds and wise men and angels. And we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. Because common people were willing to say yes to God. Isaiah 119 says, if you're willing and you're obedient, you will eat the good of the land. Don't talk yourself out of obedience. God's trying to set you up for something powerful. And your obedience is what's going to determine whether or not you're going to be what God's called you to be, whether or not you're going to do what God's called you to do, whether you're going to experience what God has for you to experience. It's all wrapped up in our obedience, oftentimes, most of the time, when we don't even understand what the end result is going to be. The wise men, they didn't understand that if you don't take the long way around, if you go back and tell Herod what he wants to know, that could result in the death of the Son of God. But he used them. What's God speaking to you? What has God been speaking to you? And what's at stake? What's the Holy Spirit been speaking to you about? What's the Holy Spirit been speaking to me about there's 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 just no there's just no words that I have to to explain to you the the importance of obedience obedience in our careers obedience in our companies obedience in our families obedience in our ministries obedience in our giving you've heard me talk many times about that when God speaks to you about giving it's because he's got a plan that's coming to pass, and so often we don't even know what that is. It's not, you know, God never tells me, okay, here's what's coming up in the future, so I want you to give this. He just tells me, I want you to give this, you're going to trust me or not. Why, you got something big planned? I've always got something big planned. Like, what is it? You trust me? Then just do it. So I want to encourage you today. When you see the nativity Stop and just think about the obedience of each one of these characters. The obedience of Mary and Joseph and the shepherds, the wise men. A sky full of angels proclaiming the birth of the Christ child to common people like us. Unreligious people like us. The shepherds weren't even looking for this. Wasn't like they had been out in the fields fasting and praying and believing God for a revelation. They were out there taking care of the sheep, and bam, it just happened. So we got to be ready. We got to be ready because God wants to reveal some big things to us. We'll just be open, and we're willing, and we're obedient. Amen? Would you stand up with me? Say this after me God has entrusted me with the good news of the gospel. For all those around me, I commit myself to be the light in dark places and to allow the light of Christ to shine brightly through me. 
I commit myself to a life of obedience to the Spirit of God. I will heed his warnings and obey his voice, even when I don't realize what's at stake. Thank you, Father. Will everybody just close your eyes and uh, let's just worship God for just a moment. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. We just thank you, God, for this season, for this opportunity for us to focus. Uh, this morning when I was praying with my prayer partners, one of the prayer partners said, this is the time of the year when everyone's focused on the Christ child. Even people who aren't believers, even people who, who don't necessarily celebrate Christmas, but you can't get away from him. He's everywhere. God, we thank you for this season, the season of our lives, this, this season on the earth when you're doing so much in the lives of men and women. God, we just celebrate you today. We celebrate you today. Thank you, Jesus. Today, I want to give you an opportunity to make a decision to follow Christ, to become a follower of Christ. The wise men were wise because they followed the star and they found Christ. And today, I want to give you an opportunity to make a decision to follow Christ. God loves you. God's got a plan for your life. Because of sin, all of us have been separated from God. But Jesus came as a baby, lived as a man and showed us how to live. He died on the cross shed his blood for our sins, rose again on the third day. And he did that for you so that you could experience victory every day of your life. While heads are bowed, eyes are closed, maybe you've never made a decision to follow Christ before. Or maybe you used to serve God and you've fallen away from the Lord. Something's gotten between you and God. What I'm going to ask you to do in just a moment is raise your hand, signifying you want to pray a prayer with me right there where you are. Repenting for your sins, acknowledging that Jesus is the Lord of your life, and asking the Holy Spirit to come in and empower you to be the Christian that the Bible promises you that you can be. You can do that right there where you are. So while every head's bowed and every eye's closed, everybody that wants to pray this prayer with me and everybody that wants to make a decision to follow Christ, I want you to raise your hand real high right there where you're standing. And I'm going to pray this prayer with you right there where you are. Raise your hand now. Thank you, Father. God, we just thank you. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your presence and your anointing and your power in this place. Thank you. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. We just worship you, Jesus. Just worship you, Jesus. I'm going to wait another moment for you to come to grips with the fact that you need to make a decision to follow Christ. Let's give Jesus what he wants for Christmas this year, which is our life. He wants to exchange his life for our life. He wants us to give him our lives as broken as they are, as unfulfilled as they are, and then he wants to give us his new life. Anyone want to make that decision today? Raise your hand right now. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. I don't see any hands. So I want all of us to say this together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that at Living Word, at every service, men and women make decisions to follow Christ. As we bring our friends, our relatives, our co-workers to church with us,
We thank you that, Holy Spirit, you're here to offer them the same new life that you've given to us. In Jesus' name, amen.